What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Not adjust your dials. You are listening to the right podcast. We are formerly the M Night Shift, now the director's wall. We've got one more M Night movie to get through before we can start another filmmaker, and that is Glass. Glass. Smash hit Glass. It's a hit. I'm AJ Gonzalez, one of your co-hosts. I'm Brian Connolly, the other guy talking. All right. There's... First, we're going to talk about the whiskey. Every yes. M. Night's uh, episode, we did a new scotch. So we got another one that's new. This is the Johnny Walker Blender's Batch Wine Cast Blend Blended Scotch Whiskey. Experiment number six, it says on there. Number six. And that's all you get other than a warning to don't be pregnant while drinking it. Please don't. Uh, so this is uh, malt, selected malt whiskeys, including some matured in wine cast, light and vibrant with notes of orchard fruit and red berries. It tastes pretty good. It smells pretty good. Yeah, I definitely get a fruity flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in a sweet, not in a rich, sweet way, but there's a nice fruity like uh, aroma going on there. I'm a fan. Kind of takes the it takes the burn mm-hmm. off of the alcohol, but mm-hmm. it's still good. I was really hesitant about drinking a liquor uh, that was stored in a wine cask. But this is good. Mm-hmm. This is good. I'm a fan. It has also almost like a slight red quality to it, I feel. Maybe that's from the wine cask. Yeah. Or I'm going blind. <laughs> <laughs> well, the label is a sort of light purplish, you know, a wine color. There it is. And I think what we do, they, we're going to be doing the films of Francis Ford Coppola after this podcast, and we will be sampling, instead of scotch, the many Coppola wines that exist. Yes, we will be funding his next movie if that ever happens. That'll be good. Uh, so let's get into this movie. We lot. watched it in the theater the day it came out. In the theater. We saw it in XD. Which I don't know what that means. It, the screen was really big. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So would a Cinerama be XD? Like, is it more like a fake IMAX? It is fake IMAX, But instead of calling it fake IMAX, which doesn't sound good, they call it XD, which is like, ooh, it's like, what's that? I know what 3D is, but what's XD? XD. So can you see a 3D movie in XD? I believe so. I think that's the theater where they show the 3D movies. 3D XD? Like the big action movies. Mm. I saw Mission Impossible Rogue Nation in that exact theater we were in. Um, it was a good experience. I saw Boo Medea Halloween 2 in that exact theater. Hey. Uh, maybe XD? I don't recall. Not a lot of special effects in that Was movie. it D-Box? <laughs> it was amazing. It's like, oh no, Medea slapping one of her grandkids. Oh, the chair's rocking. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so Glass 2, a surprisingly empty audience. Yeah, well, we saw it uh, Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We wanted to beat the crowds. But you think there would be, like, you know, government workers there because they're not yeah. doing anything right now. They could have gone see a damn movie. They could have gone and sold some plasma and then uh, use that to go see Glass. So 
So before we get into our intense critique of this film, AJ is going to give you a brief plot description of this movie. So as with every episode of the M. Night Shift Slap Director's Wall, uh, this is a, lots of spoilers in this podcast. You can't talk about the films of M. Night Shyamalan without talking about the twists and the endings. So if you haven't seen Glass, turn this off now. If you have seen it, cool. If you haven't seen it and you don't care to see it and you want it ruined for you, great. Then keep listening. Yeah. So, Glass, take it away. All right. So this is a sequel to his most recent film, Split, but it is also a sequel to uh, his 2000 film, Unbreakable, where Bruce Willis sort of finds out he's a sort of real-life version of a superhero. He can't be hurt. He's super strong, basically. In Split... James McAvoy plays someone suffering from dissociative identity disorder, a.k.a. multiple personalities. Uh, some of his personalities band together to create a, like, super beast-like personality that has all the traits of these animals. He's super strong. Bullets bounce off him. And he abducts people and murders and eats them. So now those two worlds are going to collide. Uh, we start out with Bruce Willis as un, I'm, who I'm, I'm just going to call him Unbreakable. <laughs> so Unbreakable is uh, as a private security firm, and he and his son are working together, and he's fighting crime. His son will like look up stuff on com- the computer, tell it to his dad, who has like a an earpiece in and he'll go to whatever location and, uh, you know, beat people up and uh, capture the bad guys. (laughs) And he really wants to take down this guy that's been abducting girls and he tracks him down. It's James McAvoy. They fight in a warehouse and it's a pretty cool fight. They're throwing each other around. They both have super strength. The girls get away, but they're both caught taken to an insane asylum or institute where Sarah Paulson is their psychiatrist and she only has three days to convince them they're not superheroes. That's how therapy works. Yeah. You have an arbitrary deadline. (laughs) Of less than a week. Yeah. The length of a holiday weekend to get it done. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. Also in this institute is one Elijah Price, a.k.a. Mr. Glass, who is so, like, smart. He's kept under heavy sedation and is just in his wheelchair, And he was the asleep. villain mastermind in Unbreakable that caused the train wreck that convinced Bruce Willis that he was a superhero. Yes. So once they're all in the hospital, Bruce Willis kind of disappears from the movie. And it's about Samuel L. Jackson, about Mr. Glass, uh, trying to convince James McAvoy to work with him so they can escape for some nefarious reason. Um, Mr. Glass is so smart, he's able to outsmart all the, uh, all the security procedures. He sabotages this surgery that's supposed to, like be a lobotomy or something. I'm not exactly sure what was going on with sort of laser that surgery. The laser was going to zap his brain and do something, do something bad. He sabotages that. He and James McAvoy escape and 
he tells Bruce Willis over the PA system because there's only like three people at work at this institute and both of them have been killed by Mr. Glass and the Beast. He tells him they're going to go to this opening of the new tallest skyscraper in Philadelphia and unleash a chemical gas there and kill everyone. And so Bruce Willis has to use his super strength to break out and stop them because at this point Bruce Willis believes that he is not a superhero. So he pounds through the door, he stops them they, in the uh, yard of the Institute. Uh, he and the Beast fight. It's a pretty cool fight. They throw each other in this stuff. James McAvoy flips cars, bullets bounce off him. And Mr. Glass is just observing it all. He's pretty proud of himself. And this is a pretty good movie. And if you like this movie, you need to stop watching it at this point. <laughs> Sarah Paulson shows up. She's like, oh, no, these people I'm supposed to cure fucking fighting each other with superhuman strength. This is the opposite of what's supposed to happen. But fortunately, the SWAT team has been called in, and uh, one of the snipers has a tiny black shamrock tattooed on his wrist, and he shoots James McAvoy who in a moment of vulnerability is not the beast. He turned into one of his other personalities who is not bulletproof and bam, he dies. Then Bruce Willis is unbreakable, uh, is drowned. His head is held down in a puddle and he drowns. And Mr. Glass is all busted up and he you know, dies of his internal injuries. And Sarah Paulson, you see, she also has a black shamrock tattoo on her wrist. And then we find out they're part of a secret society of Irish people that do not like superheroes because they they uh, throw off the balance of the world. So they have to squash these people when they show up with superpowers. They swoop in and murder them or convince them they're insane. But fortunately, Mr. Glass, who is super smart set this whole thing up where it was all being filmed on the extra security cameras that had been installed to keep a watch on him. It was loaded up to like a private server that then went to his mother who shares it with Bruce Willis's son and Anya Taylor-Joy who survived James McAvoy in Split and they upload it to YouTube or something. And at the end, we see people like all looking at their phones. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and then just to be sure, like there is a TV that's reporting like, look at these people fighting with superpowers. <clears throat> and then movie ends. And that was Glass. <laughs> oh, good. Another superhero movie within the last year where everybody dies. Yeah. Is that what everybody wants now? Well, the world isn't hard enough that we have to see all the superheroes die at the end of every movie now. Well, uh, spoiler alert for <laughs> Avengers, the one where everyone dies. I forgot the name of it. But like, unlike those people who dissolve into the wind. They, maybe they're not dead. They dissolve into the wind. These characters die. die. <laughs> they're dead. They bleed and they're they fucking dead. Yeah. And also, I love a movie where it ends with just everybody looking at their phones, which is also kind of like the theater looks when the lights come up and yeah. lights. I'm glad that I'm now staring at a screen of people staring at their phones. Now, just everyone will be watching this movie in five years anyway. So, now of course, there's a lot more to unpack with that movie. So let's. <laughs> 
get into that. Um, we we agreed to not talk about this after we saw it, but I. Believe- we were tight lipped. Let let me see. Let me guess, and you can guess. I'm guessing you did not like this movie. I did not. I very very did not like this movie. Do you think that I liked this movie? Oh, <laughs> yes. No, no way. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Dare I say? This is the worst M. Night movie. This is worse than After Earth. This is worse than Airbender. Because at least those were like, those failed on his own. On like He sold out intentionally, made these big movies, and they stunk. Yeah, that's what happens when that happens. But this had so much potential. Like, those movies didn't have potential. But this movie had potential to be great. It and did. instead, it was not what anyone wanted now, it completely ruins the two movies before it. It ruins Unbreakable. It ruins Split. Like anything that was good about those two movies, totally destroyed this movie. I, I, it'll be hard to find a movie worse than this movie this year. I believe so. And not because it's such poor quality or the acting is bad or the story is stupid, but because, well, it gets stupid at the end. And that's the problem. But because <laughs> it is so good, it is so good for so long. Um, so this, you know, reviews had already come out, all the, all the cool movie people had seen it and were tweeting about it. And there was just so much hate around this movie. And we see it on opening day cause we're regular, <laughs> we're regular people. We don't get into advanced screenings. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. This movie is good. This is well made. I mean, yeah, it's a little silly, but damn, there is a lot of skill going on in the filmmaking style and the storytelling. I like the plot. I like where it's going. And then, then it turns so hard. It's not even a hard left turn. It's like a hard U-turn that makes the car donut in the middle of a really busy <laughs> intersection. Yeah, I think I liked the movie up until Penny when I realized that it was not going to be a good movie. Um... I don't remember. Because no, like, I feel like, oh, I know, I know what it was. Because I'm watching the movie, it's going along, and I'm like, oh, all these characters are getting together, like, this is going to be so insane, like, this is going to be like one flew over the cuckoo's nest of superheroes, are we going to really, are we going to meet other people like this, that's going to be great, like, I mean, all these people think that superheroes, like, in this thing, and they, in effect, all will be, and then there'll be this amazing climax somehow. Or it'll be an interesting character study of these three people getting to know each other more and like Bruce Willis seeing Samuel Jackson's character for the first time in decades and getting to know McAvoy's character more and find out he's not so bad or you'll get this interesting you know, mix. Because Split was a great character study. Same with Unbreakable. Both those movies are all about the characters and just like really getting to hang out with them and getting to just kind of know what it's like to be around these people and be these people. But this movie... Nope, there's just the three of them. There's no other superhero people, which would have been cool. No, there's not going to be some cool climax because I remember about what, because they keep talking about they're going to fight on this building. Like, oh boy. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This is a Blumhouse film. They spend like $8 million on these movies in the hopes to make as much money as possible. They're not going to have the budget to shoot some big fight scene on a building. This isn't a Marvel movie. They're not going to be able to do that. And they don't. (laughs) So it's predictive. And. You don't get to know the characters more. They're just doing lesser versions of what they already did in the last movies. Like you get like McAvoy is definitely the best of the three. He is. He goes like, full McAvoy once again, and it's great. You get to see the other personalities that you didn't see in Split. In Split, you saw maybe five. Yeah. He has twenty-three. Yeah. 
And here you see all the rest that he does kind of rapid fire because his security, uh, the security setup for his room is these bright flashing lights. If he gets too close to the door, light flashes at him and that triggers him to change to another personality. And he keeps trying at that and it, bam, another personality. Now he's like a, a Spanish woman. Like Now he's a film professor specializing in Kurosawa films. <laughs> But you don't you don't get to really know them any more than you already did. McAvoy's great, but still just kind of doing what he did in the last movie, but not as good because you don't have a really compelling story around that. Yeah, character. because the you the just see him do these different voices. The character he plays, Kevin Wendell Crumb, who was abused as a child and as such now suffers from multiple personality disorder. Um, we spend little time with that character, with that character, getting to know that character. That would be really interesting. interesting. <laughs> it would build his character. It would we'd have this torn uh, sympathy for him. You'd feel sympathy because he suffered such horrible trauma that he created other people to help him with that. But he also kidnaps and murders young women. All right, pause for editing because of the dog playing with his toy. And um, so yeah, McAvoy could be a really uh, interesting character because of his unfortunate background, but he's also a serial murderer. So you just kind of get a but great hit of his character from the last movie. Yeah, yeah, there's, it doesn't really, ex, it doesn't explore that. There's not much going on either with Mr. Glass and Bruce Willis. Both of those actors, good actor. Bruce Willis is good when he was good in he's the just early part of his career. comfortable, like, mumbling, like, he... Is like what Harrison Ford's been like for the last forty years, minus uh, what lies beneath. Yeah, just kind of Samuel Jackson, who is great because you love to hear him fucking talk, which is why he's great in every Tarantino movie. Doesn't talk in this movie. He's, he just doesn't sit there because he's sedated. He doesn't say anything yeah. until the very end, and you're like, I want to see him yell. I want to see Samuel Jackson talk a bunch. No, we're not gonna get that. Uh, Sarah Paulson, who is great. Doing nothing. She's just kind of there looking all concerned. And then at the end, she's like, I'm a bad guy, kind of, maybe. And then that's yeah. actually, she doesn't get anything to do. The little dude from Unbreakable didn't grow up to be a very good actor. No. Unfortunately. He's not distractingly <laughs> bad or anything. He's just, he's okay at best. Um, the actress playing Samuel L. Jackson's mother. Who is um, back? Charlene Woodard is a uh, little trivia. The, that actress is 65 years old. Samuel Jackson is, I believe, over 70. <laughs> so that's that's. Fun. There's lots of scenes of her, like, cradling him, being like, I love you, son, with some kind of, like, yeah. back, broke back mountain old man makeup. And it just doesn't... It's, she still looks younger than Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to spend more time with her character because yeah. she is on board... Well, she's not on board with her son's evilness, but she understands that he's a comic book character existing in the real world. And she is really into the storytelling archetypes and mythology of comic books like Samuel Jackson. And so they like she knows she's on the same page with him, even though they don't really interact. Um, And she's also playing a really smart character, too. Um, the son character is just just kind of there, and Anya Taylor Joy is back, like sort of representing <laughs> representing Split. So we've got Bruce Willis's son, we've got Samuel Jackson's mother, 
James McAvoy doesn't have relatives, but he has this victim, victim who now likes him for some victim reason. that lived. I think it's it's trying to, <laughs> and again because it doesn't. This film doesn't delve into the characters, but I think she feels some kind of sympathy for him because they both suffered horrible trauma as children, which is why James McAvoy didn't kill her at the end. He like felt a connection with her. Mm-hmm. Still held, held her hostage for weeks, killed all friends. But you yeah, know. he still uh, <laughs> he still killed and ate her friends. Uh, the main thing when watching this movie, and I got this fairly quickly. It was even before the story went bad. Is I just missed the high class, high quality of the older feminine movies. So, like the movies used to look so much better. They used to the music used to be so much better. Like you really miss James Newton Howard's music, especially in this because they'll bring back little excerpts of his music from Unbreakable, and you're like, hey, that music's pretty good. And then the rest of the music completely unremarkable. And then like, man, Unbreakable had such great cinematography, all those great long shots. This movie just kind of feels like a Blumhouse movie where they just yeah. kind of like did it on the fly real quickly. Like not an incompetently made movie, but just like Shyamalan movies used to look so good, used to sound so good. Like he clearly was a huge fan of Spielberg and Hitchcock and storyboarded the hell out of it and really had these amazing, well-composed movies. And I just didn't get that from this movie. It just felt like I was wishing that like that filmmaker was still there, like excited to impress me with his, his abilities as a filmmaker. So this is, you know, it's his crossover movie, but this is a sequel to Split. This is not, not a, sequel a sequel to Unbreakable. Unbreakable. This is using a lot of the same crew as Split, the same uh, music, same composer, the same cinematographer, and the same sensibilities, really. Like, this is trying to go <laughs> for, um, like, go for thrills, there's not really many scares in the movie. Split is more scary. Yeah. Yeah. Scary than than this one. So we think like, okay, this is gonna be a character study, which it isn't really. No. Like <laughs> it thinks it is. It thinks it is. You think these uh therapy sessions that Sarah Paulson is having with the three of them, they're gonna be really interesting. Uh find out stuff about the characters or like James McAvoy's powers, he just has to turn into the beast. Then he gets super strong, which he seems to be able to do at will. Yeah. But he just doesn't. So to like prove how strong he is, he just has to transform and he gets like really muscular. Yeah, climb the walls, you know. <laughs> climb the walls. So those scenes are a letdown because they're just her uh, giving them uh, reasonable doubt as to how you know, they survived a train wreck or how they bent the bars of a steel cage and the characters are like, huh, maybe you're right. Quick, Pretty quickly thinking maybe you're really right. Really quickly. Like, and then there's not really a lot of scenes of them interacting with each other. Like, I want to see Bruce Willis, I want to see all three of them play off each other. I was hoping for scenes of them, like, just having to hang out with, forced to hang out and talk to each other. And that would have been so... Good, if that happened. But it did not happen. And then another sad thing that it does this movie should never do is show footage from the original movie reminding you of the much better movie. So you're getting a pretty good amount of the deleted scenes from the Unbreakable DVD thrown on the big screen. Yeah, the deleted scenes, one of which I described uh, on the podcast, and you can find it on the DVD, which I was thinking about, actually, before... 
the movie started, it's a flashback scene to Mr. Glass as a child, and he really wants to do kid things, and he's at the carnival, and he has these two giant stuffed animals with him, and he goes on the Tilt-A-Whirl, and he sets up one stuffed animal on the side of him, and he's got this towel wrap around the bar, and so he's safe, and he can have this fun experience that every other kid is having that he really wants to have, but then it all goes wrong, the bears spin out, and he gets slammed around and all broken up, and it's really, really sad. And it's a really, really long scene, so it got cut from Unbreakable. We see it here trimmed down, and, I mean, the emotion is still there. I don't know if that, for me, was because I was just remembering (laughs) watching the longer version of the scene and also knowing that that is the deleted scene from Unbreakable. Like, oh, you're padding this movie out with deleted scenes from your other movie. Don't need to pad the movie out. It's 130 minutes long. This movie and it feels it, man. It, it really feels it. Um, I was, I had to go to the bathroom during the movie, and I was like, I can hold it. I can hold it. But then at a certain point, I realized, like, there's probably like 30 minutes left in this. So I had to go. I don't know what I missed. I don't think it was much. Yeah, I don't remember what part you <laughs> From what I can tell, you got the same movie I got, so we're, we're okay. Another thing that was missing in this movie with watching all those movies is it just doesn't have the heart that his other movies have. It doesn't have the deep meaning that his other movies try to have or have. Like his early movies were all about kind of spirituality and sort of like finding out like what that means. Your, re- your relationship and to God. Relationship to, to God or just religion or just sort of like your spirit. And then even like... The Visit or Split, which are more just straight genre things, still has kind of like characters that you really like, and then they get into a bad situation and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. And then this one just doesn't have any of that. You're just like, okay, you're just going along. Like, this doesn't have any real meaning to it. You're making sort of like a straightforward genre movie. But then at the end, you're pretending there's some big meaning about like comics or superheroes what it means but you already did it unbreakable in a much better way and here it just means less it doesn't really say anything new like in the first unbreakable you were already like it, what if it's real people like what if comic books are myths but they're not myths they're like what if all the myths we knew are based on real people and that's what comic books are the new you know myths this is like some joseph campbell type shit yeah and to me that's a very <laughs> pre marvel a view on comic books, like uh, when comic books were a much more niche thing, or comic mo- and comic movies didn't exist. Like when Unbreakable was made, you just had Superman, Batman, like the X Men movie X-Men hadn't even happened movie, yet. Maybe the first one, maybe. I think the first one came out. The first one came out summer two thousand. Okay. I think. Um, but Spider Man, which really kicked off and, comic books, was a few years away. And I feel that uh, his approach to comics and comics as storytelling comes from the pre-Marvel when it was this niche thing like you specialized in comics and that style of storytelling. But now those kinds of stories are everywhere. It's the you're, main story. You're extremely aware of, of comics. Like you've got the one-offs like, you know, uh, Thor has a crazy adventure on uh, planet Jeff Goldblum with the Hulk. But then, like, the main story, he 
is him in the Avengers, and that's one through line, and so that's like a limited edition, and they talk about like a limited edition versus an origin story series, what those mean, stuff that people that are into comics, you know, already know about, and that's not really explained thoroughly for people that don't know comics, like me. Yeah, comics are just like football now, it's just like everybody in the world knows about comics via these huge movies. It's not special anymore. It's not for just a small group of people that like get picked on in school. It's like everybody. Everybody knows about Iron Man. Everybody knows about Wonder Woman. Like this is this is like the main source of entertainment now for the planet is these comic book movies. And I was really hoping this movie was gonna like turn that on its head in a different direction, but it just ended up feeling like a really, really shitty, cheap version of every movie we've seen now for the last 15, 20 yeah, years. Yeah, and because we've already, and we have had in that time since movies that are like, what if superheroes existed in real life? Like, that is what Christopher Nolan's Batman movies were. Like, what if that was the real world? That's what Kick Ass is sort of That's like. Kick Ass Super was, is kind of like. Yeah, a super, uh, to some extent, the Watchmen. So we've already seen even that angle explored in different ways and it's not explored in any new kind of way here also it was a letdown in that uh the twists are just really really lame because he feels the need to do twists i was kind of hoping he didn't what's what's nice about unbreakable is it's not really a twist that he's a superhero it's more a slow reveal that some people could pick up on before other people like oh he's like a superhero and then you have the twist of like Samuel Jackson's bad guy at the very end, which I never really liked that little twist at the end. And this movie, you have the twist of like James McAvoy's dad was on the train that Bruce Willis is on, therefore he made James McAvoy into a superhero. And that's Samuel Jackson's character. That's Mr. Glass's power is that he, he makes superheroes. But not anymore because he died. So he made two of them or whatever, and that's the end of it. Unless there's more people on that train and somehow that's going to be the thing or the other disasters that he did. And then the twist that Sarah Paulson's a bad guy. Sort of predictable. I kind of figured there was some nefarious uh, reason for what she was doing. I, I uh, figured there'd be something nefarious with her, but it really could have gone either way for me. Also, why was his insane asylum only have employed three people? That was to work there. That <laughs> like weird. the security is like so easy that you can just like open a door and walk around and there's like two guys that work there and they take turns. So it's like basically one person working where these supposed very dangerous people to society are guarded by a guy and then another guy and then maybe, like, a dude who stands by another door, like, way far away and then, like, some other guys in the basement who were, like, I don't even know what their role is. He was, like, it felt like there was nobody working there at all, which I'm sure is not true whatsoever. Uh, the security, pretty pretty bad at this place. <laughs> like, just putting yeah. cameras up isn't enough. you got to, like, staff it with... More than one person, because if someone has to go into a room and deal with these people unprotected, there should be one other human being to help out. Just one more. Like, it doesn't have to be a lot of people, but, like, maybe, like, five people as opposed to, like, three people. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I guess that was a budget thing, a plot convenience thing, maybe. (laughs) But you just hire some extras to just stand around in white coats looking at, like, you know, like, little notepads. You're like, oh, these must be the other... People who work at this place. Yeah, and then at night you can be like, oh, well, I guess at night everyone went home except they only have one orderly overnight. But there's only ever one orderly working there. For one the whole during the day and one at or night. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, 
But going back to Sarah Paulson's reveal, yeah, for the most part, I liked her character. I thought her character was all right in that she wasn't a nurse ratchet type. It'd been real easy to have the person trying to convince these people that they're not superheroes be like super mean and use overly aggressive, unnecessary, uh, you know, surgeries and whatnot. But she's seems like someone she's just trying to do her job. And then this reveal of the secret society. And I, I really, really hate when movies use this crutch of there's a secret society of elders or the most powerful people. You don't want to know who they are. And they all have <laughs> tattoos, whatever, which I think is stupid. I thought it was stupid. And Not a secret <laughs> to do that. It's stupid tattoo. here. The society, they meet in restaurants. And then as soon as the last person that's not one of their members leaves. Lock the door. Lock the door. And then they're like, yes. Like, we've taken care of the situation or whatever. It doesn't mean then that there's members of the secret society that also are just like people who wash dishes in a restaurant who are just there. Yeah, the staff doesn't leave. They're still serving dinner in this restaurant. Or wouldn't you think if you were told, okay, Jim, you got to leave for two hours while these people talk for no reason. Like, huh, you think you'd... This is the age of cell phones, the age of the internet. There are no secret societies. Everything's in the open. You'll be able to figure it out. Like, we have Google Maps now. You can look at a property and say, like, oh, look, there's people there hanging out in this secret place. Like, it's not a a thing. And I I imagine, and I I might actively hate this movie. (laughs) I imagine that what I'm feeling is what people felt generally with, like, the twist in the village. Because this comes out of nowhere. There is nothing in the movie that has set this up. And if you haven't seen Hereditary, you know, 30 seconds over this next part. In Hereditary, the twist is that uh, Toni Collette isn't crazy. She's uh, been manipulated by witches and witchcraft. Now, the movie does a really good job at setting up that she might be going crazy or maybe there's a ghost there. But the very beginning, and it's real quick, she's going through her mother's boxes of books because her mother has died. And in one box, she opens it up and it's like witchcraft and the occult. And there's books with like witchcraft symbols on it. And she's like, oh, that's weird and puts it away. So it's at least introduced. It's there. The filmmaker cannot say like that he blindsided you with twist. So there's that. Unlike back to glass <laughs> unlike glass there's nothing that suggests a secret society especially not you're mixing two movies together was it he made a secret movie about a secret society that is going to tie into this and it doesn't even feel like well now it's going to be you know mrs glass mr glass's mom against the secret society in the next movie did it take 20 years for the secret society to catch on to who Bruce- Willis's character was like if he's all this time been being this vigilante guy doing this superhuman like stopping bad guys thing and Glass has been locked up in this place for 20 years why did it take him until now to do the balance like you've had 20 years of YouTube videos now piling up yeah. of this guy already doing amazing things so you don't even need to leak leak them doing this special stuff because you already have that you already have at the beginning of the movie like oh here's a YouTube video of this guy doing this amazing thing like okay and it's just and the twist with, of them 
being like, aha, we're the secret study, and then we have kill everybody is such a sad ending because like you like there's the reason why this is not how normal superhero movies end, because you want to see Spider-Man fight and take down Doctor Octopus. Yeah. And and the and like the Green Goblin. Because if it was just sort of like and then Spider-Man was killed and then in the end, you're like, oh, okay, what? Or the bad guy was killed and got killed by these this group of people at the end. That's there's you don't get a feeling of fulfillment from sitting through a 130-minute movie that has these three characters like, oh man, this is gonna be a thing. And like, no, they died. The end. Like, yeah, this what? is, <laughs> like, this is also to... more upsetting than like these the Avengers died fighting. Like, and there's gonna be another movie where they're all gonna come back to life. They're not dead, I'm sure of it. And then they, they at least it was like it wasn't like and then they all get died by the killed by these other people. And you know, but at least you know people know that the superheroes the end because there's there's nothing there's nothing to it. There's nothing to their deaths. Yeah, they don't sacrifice themselves. Um, and it's it's kind of like there was a time in Michael Caine's career when he just got shot randomly at the end of movies. Spoiler alerts for Get Carter and Play Dirty. This movie plays out, and then he does the thing like yeah, he's like triumphant <laughs> on the beach, and then someone just bam shoots him <laughs> or like. Uh, Carlito's Way, Layer Cake, Spoilers. These are movies that they have a plot, it plays out, and then at the end someone runs up <laughs> Jack Ruby yeah. style and shoots them. And you're like, oh, I, I guess. And then the movie ends right at that moment. It ends. And you're like, oh. Well, Did he die? Was, I wonder if he died. Yeah, that, was, like a... that was weird. This movie keeps going. It keeps going. And you are with uh, the Unbreakable Sun Anya Taylor-Joy and Mrs. Glass, and you're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't like them. The people I liked were, were horribly murdered. They were horribly murdered. They died sad. Now I have to spend time with these people. What the fuck? It'd be like killing Henry Hill and Goodfellas and then having 30 minutes where we're just hanging out with his, like... With like Lorraine Bracco, and she's just kind of sad. You're like, okay, well, this movie, like your characters, are... actually, that would be more interesting. It'd be like if you're then hanging out with like his lawyer that was defending him in court, like or Paul Servino's character, and he's all of a sudden with these lesser characters, and you just were in the whole movie with Joe Pesci and Henry Hill, and you're just like, yeah, and now we're just like sitting with nothing. Or what if Indiana Jones died 30 minutes before the end of even. The one that no one likes, Crystal Skull, and you're just hanging out with Shia LaBeouf. For oh, God. No one would like that movie. That is what this. That's is what like. this movie is. Like, no, we didn't come here to see these people. I didn't even know these people were going to be in this movie. Yeah. I want to see these three people I thrown see... together, and then I want to see them like do shit to each other yes. together. I want to see the two strong men fight while the smart mastermind sits in his chair and like you know pets his white cat and laughs maniacally. Yeah. That's. What? I'm sure everybody wants James Bond to die, and then he just hang out with Money Penny for 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's a movie that um, anybody wants to see. Yeah, because so he Shyamalan kills off these characters horribly. It's not even like he goes into a building and it blows up. Like, no, you watch Bruce Willis. My poorly shot angle, you know, where you're like, I guess he's drowned, his face like it drowns in a puddle. <laughs> like, you watch those. People die, and then it turns out the message of the movie is about belief and giving the people something to believe in, which is what has, is a th- recurring theme 
in his movies, in Sixth Sense and in Unbreakable and Signs. But you don't feel he felt, like this one. He felt uh, that he gave audiences something to believe in. And with The Village, by revealing that The Village wasn't real, he thought he took away belief from the audience. And that's why they reacted the way they did. And I think he's on the right track there. Here, he's going to give you something to believe again by showing the footage, by distributing the footage to everyone's phones that here's a fight between two real-life superhero movies, superheroes. And like, hey, everyone, there's something to believe in now that's, you know, grander than the natural world. But they're dead. <laughs> but they're dead. So you don't feel the same. You don't feel the same. It's not an uplifting ending, which I'm sure he thinks that it is. It's also, I know he wasn't going for like a grim, dour ending like this. Like he was not going for like the Lars von Trier version or the Michael Haneke version where just everyone dies and like, yeah, the world's miserable and that's how it is. (laughs) Uh, The one thing I liked about this movie was M. Night's cameo. Which the, to me was the best twist, which is revealing that his character in Split is the same character he played in Unbreakable. Yes. That he was I, a, a, a rambunctious, misbehaving youth in I liked it. And then grew up to be some guy who worked in this apartment you know, building. And he, and his little line in the beginning, because there's a part, he recognizes Bruce Willis and he's like, hey, didn't you used to be the bodyguard, the security guy at the stadium? He's like, I was. He's like, yeah, hung out with a bad crowd then. Like, hey, man, positive thinking got me through it. And I'm like, that is great. If he could have made that three-second character have the same interesting arc for the main three characters of this movie and gave you a new insight into them like he did with his little cameo, wouldn't have that been a better movie? Because that is by far the best part of this whole stupid movie, without a doubt. It's That's, the, that's it. That's the part. Yeah. <laughs> that's the good part. Might be my favorite part, too. <laughs> I really – I mean, as soon as – you think from describing that, <laughs> that that cameo would be dumb and annoying and you'd roll your eyes, but you don't. It's fun and it ties the two movies together and Shyamalan's fun and goofy in it and like, hey, that was fun. And it happens early in the movie. And so that's why I, my expectations lifted for this movie because as Hitchcock uh, you know, made cameos in his movies and they went on and he was more famous and people were looking for him in the movies. He knew that would be a distraction. So he moved his cameos earlier and earlier in the movies. And Shyamalan's cameo happens really early, which we know it's going to happen. It happens early. It's fun. It's out of the way with. And I thought, okay, like he's not messing around this time. Like this is like a serious serious you know movie and then he ruins it like (laughs) and and it is it is a good well-made film until he he flies too close to the sun on wings made of cellophane i was hoping he would keep going with the twist kind of movies where you find out there's the same mental institution that the two old people escape from in the visit and that happens in the background (laughs) and then bruce willis is not really dead, but he is dead. But like, but like, his son can see him. But now he's a ghost. But he's a ghost. Again. But he's a super fight, a super uh, hero ghost, and just like keep this layering on the thing. Yeah, this, I, I wish these kept going. I wish Maybe he's like, this is my Fanny and Alexander. I'm gonna cram it all in. Like here you go. This is the ultimate. No, we we uh, stayed through the credits, and there's no there's Nothing. no stinger. Don't but wouldn't it have been great if uh, after the credits ended, it was Anya Taylor Joy and Bruce Willis's son. They were like, oh, we're really sad that our people died. 
let's go on a camping trip. And they go out camping into the woods and they come across the village. The village! Let's keep it going. Yeah. Why or not? He has to fight the aliens from science. They come back. Or it turns out this movie actually takes place like in 2003 or whenever that movie came out. And then it's like still going. Because they yeah. also have a weakness. It's water. So you find out he's from that. He's the same alien. He's from that race. Yeah. And he's part of those guys. Should just, he should have just gone full in. All in. Uh, yeah. Because it's eh, – this movie, it really is a rug. A rug is pulled out from under you with that ending. That just sours it so bad, and I, that is why I feel like the reviews are so harsh, why the audience reaction is the way it is. This thing, I mean, it's the number one movie right now. It's made like $90 million, and it has a 37% on the tomato meter score. So everyone's seen this movie once, and then they're telling people to not see it, and then yeah. they don't want to see it again. Because how could you rewatch this movie? Because now you guys maybe the people you like is going to watch you die. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like imagine if you were more pointed by the Usual Suspects, or imagine if at the end of the Usual Suspects, spoiler alert, after you find out Verbal Kent is. Uh, Kevin Spacey and he made up the whole plot of the movie if then while he's getting away someone runs up and shoots him <laughs> like yeah usual suspect un- unusual suspects <laughs> usual suspects is a movie that gets a lot of hate because it's the trick you can only do once you watch it you're wowed by it or you're not there's no point really to re-watching it yeah I don't know what the point to re-watching <laughs> Glass would be I don't know yeah. Where do you think Shyamalan goes from this? That's what I was wondering, because I thought this was going to be like, this is going to be him kickstarting this whole, like he's got this whole superhero universe. But he killed all the characters, so I guess he could do, there's other superheroes in other towns, and now there's this secret society trying to kill them, and now you got to like hang out with a new person. But I don't want that. I wanted to see Bruce Willis do a few different things. Yeah, and Bruce Willis uh, is doing, a, he's doing a, a, a fairly well, like old man Logan type. Yeah, like because he's old, he's got like a white scruffy beard. You can actually see his bald. He actually has hair yeah, on the side. His hair. Bruce his, Willis like actually lets hairline. you see where his hairline. Ends he admits that he's back. bald. He admits yeah. that he's bald. He's old. He's still super strong. Yeah, but he's old. Yeah, and so there is a, a bit of you know of old man Logan in there. Is watching him like he's old, but he still has to do what's right. Yeah, if there was another movie that was. That was like old unbreakable. I I'd be up old for unbreakable. He has to fight McAvoy. Like I thought that's what this movie was yeah. gonna be, but it's like no, it's just them kind of sitting around and then the guy. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, yeah, on. and there's not. I mean, there's not much too with Sixth Sense and Unbreakable Signs and you know his earlier movies, Praying with Anger, Wide Awake. There's themes and subtext to talk about there's not a lot going on with this movie aside from the thrill of a Shyamalan crossover movie which is then ruined by himself <laughs> um so we can't even like unpack the themes other than, <laughs> other than he wants people to believe in something greater than themselves like okay yeah whatever <laughs> um you know, not a good portrayal of uh, mental health or mental health problems. Well, his last few movies you know? have been kind of on that drain. Yeah, but and 
I mean, that's something that comes up uh, with people talking about these latest movies, or critics at least. And you know what? Don't get your mental health information from horror movies. <laughs> Just don't do Good it. Good idea. Don't do it. I agree. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does next, because the movie is clearly going to make a lot of money. So in his mind, it'll be a success, and Blumhouse's mind success, and he can make something else again that'll make a shit ton of money. I mean, but definitely this is the most critically hated movie in a while. Yeah. Because the last few I feel people really liked, whereas this one, I don't know anyone. I feel like this is his most hated movie, if not more hated than The Happening, which is the movie that sort of ended like Shyamalan, the the reign of Hollywood, you know, because then after that, people knew like, oh, it's in my Shyamalan movie. It's probably going to be disappointing and silly. And they were. And then he got good again. And the reaction to this is so harsh, and I understand it. <laughs> well, I'm excited next month to do the Coppola podcast, because surely that guy won't become a disappointment after making the greatest movie of all time, yeah. The Godfather, right? He's going to ride yeah. that high the 80s, all the way. The 80s all are going to be nothing. <laughs> but hit after hit. Nothing but sweet, hit. sweet good times. I'm so excited. So, um... Thanks for listening. Yeah, there's not much point to talk <laughs> I feel about. Like, I wish I, there was. I feel like Christmas happened and we didn't get the present we wanted and we're just kind of sad and now we're just wondering what to do. I just had that feeling of like, what do I want to do now? Yeah. Last was a disappointment. What am I supposed to do? It was a treat. Like in January, uh, the visit happened. It was, I mean, it was different. You know, I didn't really like it, but I'm like, hey, that's something different. I like the experience of watching a movie that I wasn't expecting uh you know i wasn't expecting that kind of movie from that filmmaker and then split comes out in january and so january was like Shyamalan horror season and we get a little treat you know a little candy like oh maybe like oh this one's dark chocolate i don't really like dark chocolate like oh this one's white chocolate like nah, that's okay you know and, and now you get like a, a burnt peanut butter cookie <laughs> So this movie is just a burnt peanut butter cookie. That is my review. <laughs> Put that on the poster. Right. Well, thanks for listening. This was fun. Who knows when we'll jump back in the M night again whenever he makes something. Whenever uh, he makes something again. But tune in for the Director's Well Coppola episode starting in just a few weeks. And I think we're going to try to do it more often than we did this one. I think yes. we're going to try to do it every few weeks and just because there's a lot to go through. So let's do it. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you at the movies. Goodbye. Shyamalan twist.